sweet Jesus, you're the wind beneath my wings. Sweet Jesus, you're my melody and harmony. Sweet Jesus, you're the eyes that I see through. Sweet Jesus, yes, I'm dancing to your tune. For Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. We thank you for accepting us. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you that you became sin so that we would become your righteousness. We thank you that you became dead for our sake that you may give us life and life more abundant. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, we thank God for another opportunity to work for him, to live for him. Just as Jesus said, that I must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day. For night is coming when no man will be able to work again. We thank God for the gift of life and we don't take it for granted. We continue our study on why the wilderness, continuing from the verse number two. We are hoping that this evening we'll be able to touch on verse three and verse four. We are not in a hurry. We want to take our time and really peruse what we are studying. So we ended off with saying that the first test, and I believe the most important test ever in our relation with God, is the state of your heart. So once human beings look on the outward, God looks on the inside. And what does this mean? It means that we are mostly more focused on the works of people than the heart from which they work. So we are more concerned or we judge basically on what people do. So we are more interested in the actions of people. So most of the times we judge sin by its actions. So we look at somebody who commits adultery or somebody who commits fornication or somebody who tells lies, somebody who steals, somebody who gossips, somebody who does all these things. But you realize that when Jesus came and he was telling us about the demands of grace, He's saying that the Lord tells you that unless you kill someone, that's the only instance where you can commit murder. But Jesus tells us that murder goes way beyond just the action or the act of killing somebody. But murder goes on to the hatred you harbor in your heart against the person. Jesus again told us that you only call somebody a fornicator when he goes to sleep with somebody who is not his or her wife. But Jesus is saying that it goes way beyond that. Having a lustful thought, of someone in your heart, you have already committed a crime, mercy. So you see that God is more interested in the heart because he knows that out of your heart comes out the issues of life. And it's impossible to have a good heart or it's impossible for the source to be contaminated and produce good fruits. So God is more interested in dealing with issues from the roots, not the branches. He's interested in dealing with issues from the base, from the cause than the effects. So we mostly judge people by actions. But God is saying that before somebody becomes a fornicator on the outside, before somebody becomes a liar on the outside, before somebody becomes a thief on the outside, is because his heart has been corrupted. There are so many people who have not yet done the act of fornication, but in their hearts, oh mercy. There are so many people who have not stolen before, but in their hearts, mercy. So that's how can we mostly say that time will tell, because through the passage of time, you would see the true state of what is in people's hearts. That is why you see somebody and you think the person is humble. But give this person power. <laughs> and you know the people you are dealing with. It's not because people change per se, but it's just that the state of their heart has been revealed due to a particular position or a particular exposure or a particular blessing they have. I remember this example I always like to give, that in secondary school, I don't know if it has changed now, <laughs> but during my time, so many years ago, <laughs> we are not allowed to use mobile phones and electronic gadgets. Yeah. So maybe you are the type of person that you bring phones and maybe you and your colleague will be using a mobile phone, etc. 
maybe this person now becomes a prefect and all of a sudden this person has become a saint and you know because prefects were entitled to their own courts we used we have courts as some people have cubicles or dormitories but we used to have courts so because the prefects are mostly entitled to their own rules they will be using mobile phones in their room yes they will go and report their mates who are using mobile phones in the dormitory because they know when the senior house master or the house masters come around they don't come to the prefect's room to come and do inspection but they will go to the dormitories and go and catch these people and you'll be amazed to see people that you are rolling with doing breaking school rules immediately they become prefects you'll be amazed the wonderful things they will do it just tells you the state of their heart so many a time many of us have not done so many things not because we can't do them but because time and chance if i should say has not given us the opportunity to do things that's why sometimes you can do some things and you'll be shocked that hey <laughs> so when those things happen god is just telling you that you see you have no idea how deadly you can be <laughs> so your heart is the very issue so guard your heart and this word made daniel successful in daniel chapter 1 i think the verse 9 or the verse 6 he said for daniel purposed in his heart daniel purposed in his heart so if you are able to purpose in your heart trust me the rest is very simple the action or the, the ability to follow through is very simple so we mostly coin a saying that where there is a will there is a way it simply means that if you have purpose in your heart you would go through with it and the wilderness experience is as i said a mandatory course that everybody who god considers a child will go through and just throughout the week as i was preparing a thought just came into mind that whenever you find a precious metal and you take it to like the goldsmith and the rest and you want to know if what you have is pure gold There are various tests that they look at and an experienced person can just look at it and put some some things in or do some test to know if it's pure gold but the surest way to know if what you have is gold is to pass it through fire that's the surest test or the surest validity test for gold because gold is the substance that when passes through fire remains the same remains the same every other material when passes through fire There's a certain change that goes to one way or the other, but when gold is passed through fire, it remains the same. And so, the purpose of the wilderness is for God to polish your heart to become like that of gold, so that whichever season of life you find yourself in, you would remain the same. That is why we have so many play actors or what we call hypocrites and people who have more than one personality. So, in a particular season of their life. when things are going well for them when there are so many breakthroughs and open doors and etc we are the best christians you can never find but immediately a door closes or a certain bad news comes your way this same person who was working for god and the rest you find that this person <laughs> is now accusing god sometimes it can be the other way around when we are in lack when we are in poverty we are the best christians you can never find but immediately god blesses us hey I have seen how car has changed a man's life. <laughs> And these things are very real. So God will pass you through fire to know what material your heart is made out of. And the fact that I'm saying fire, I don't necessarily mean it's going to be an unpleasant circumstance. It's going to be a bad circumstance, something you're going to hear bad news. Absolutely not. It's going to be an experience whether good or bad but it's going to be an experience that reveals the state of your heart because I have known friends who I used to spend hours with in secondary school praying and doing the work of God and few months after such people go to Europe or go to the United States my god mercy you be surprised just america can change somebody <laughs> i remember one guy in particular he was a leader of the largest students group on campus he was very quiet very calm very intelligent like he was mr right perfect gentleman this guy went to the united states after shs hey <laughs> he's beyond recognizable just america can change somebody he has changed his hairstyle he has changed his now when you ask him hey papa what are happening to say you god damn it what is god you know is it hey <laughs> we there you not say eating daniel food you say what is god god is just a friction of your imagination as a water wow so you can see what america has done to somebody it just simply tells us that this was the real state of the person's heart at all along the person was serving god not because the person genuinely loved god 
but there was something else. You should even look at those who play instruments at church. You should see the way some of them they behave. Hey, small organ you can play in church, small guitar you can play in church, small drums you can play in church, small singing you sing in church. Hey. I don't want to continue, but you now you know. So the wilderness experience is not necessarily a bad experience, but it's simply circumstances that would expose the state of your heart. Sometimes it can be the failure of your friends, or it can be the success of your friends. See the way we are so quick to attribute the failure of our friends to one thing or the other. Oh, I knew it. So all those times, or all those things, there are various times that God is passing you through a wilderness just to see the way you respond, see the way you make comments when people fail. See the way you make comments when people succeed. See the way you behave because you can sing or because you are good with an instrument. And all these experiences is God taking you through the wilderness just to know what is in your heart. And I know last week I came um, a little bit hard on the papas and the mamas, etc. Because it is what it is. Because sometimes I have friends I, and I look at it some, you see, as someone who is if I should say a leader in church or somebody who serves in church or a pastor or somebody in, if I say, forefront of ministry, we all have that aspect of us where we want to control people, where we want to feel powerful, you know? We have that edge as children of God to do as if we are the ones that are powerful, as if we are the ones that conjure the miracles, conjure the signs. And we want people to depend on us. Like we want people to always come to us. Oh, Papa, oh, Mama, oh, this. Oh, we have that kind of craving in our hearts. And all those things are ungodly cravings. That's why many a times some people want to imprison their members through fear because they know that as long as they can keep people bondage by fear, they will keep running to them. And as long as they keep running to them, they will still become vulnerable to them. They know their finances at their disposal, their emotions at their disposal. In fact, they have unrestricted access to such people. And the state of your heart, as I said last week, is the single most important determining factor of your reward in heaven and how close you would work with God. One of the greatest obsessions of people, especially we in ministry or we that are doing, we are making an attempt to do anything in life and even for God, is what one of my spiritual instructors like to call the obsession of numbers. We have become so obsessed about numbers, the number of people on your platform, the number of people in your church, the number of followers. You would be amazed the things people would do for followers on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube. You'd be amazed. We are so obsessed for numbers. And it's what is killing many people the numbers so i call it the god of numbers <laughs> has become our god so we're always looking at hey how many people are in this guy's church how many people are on this guy's platform how many followers that people have and i don't know them not go personal also those who are calling themselves social media influencers but it's so interesting how people have made it in life when they have a certain number of followers they have please the majority is not always the godly the majority is hardly always the godly. The majority is hardly always the godly. Um, one, I was talking to my cousin and he made a statement that somebody made. He said that it's not all that is famous that is wise. <laughs> Something happened in our country and certain people who are calling themselves celebrities were speaking. And it's so interesting how ignorant these people can be. And somebody wrote on the comment section that truly it's not all that is famous or all that is popular. That is why. So please, let us submit ourselves to the dealings of the Holy Spirit to get rid of this obsession of numbers. Because it's just revealing the state of pride. And you know, a time came where Satan incited the heart of David to count his army or to count the number of people in his army. And that act he did caused him, I think, 170,000 people of Israel. He took a sacrifice in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, to avert it, all because David counted the people in his army. So David forgot that it was God who was giving him the victory, not the number of people in his army. That's why when he came to Gideon, he told him that these people you have is too much for me. And God reduced the number from about 3,000 to 300. God is not a God of numbers. And these are various tests that God will pass you through to teach you these lessons, to expose you to the state of your heart. 
so that you will know that you have a lot to do with who you are. Don't be obsessed with numbers. So that is just, we are still learning, we are continuing our study. And now we want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 20, we are looking at the verse 3 and the verse 4. I don't know if you want to touch on the verse 4, but we'll just to read it. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna that he might alone. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. In the verse 4, your remnant works not old on you, neither did your foot swell these 40 years. Wow. So God is saying something in the verse 3. I, I don't think we get to the verse 4, but the verse 3, it says that he humbled you. Now, how did he humble you? He humbled you by first making you go hungry so that he would feed you with manna. And the manna, you had no idea. Let's take notes. We said, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know. So he made you go hungry and he fed you with something or he provided you with something you had no idea about. And why did God do this to them? So that you would know that man shall not, or man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Wow. The second test that you would have to pass is what I call the test of dependency, total dependency on God, total reliance on God. Total faith in God. Now, the total is very, very important because many of us, we have partial dependence, partial reliance, partial faith. And unfortunately, dependence, faith, and reliance is absolute. So it's either you have 100% or you have 0%. There's not like 99% faith or 99% reliance on God or... 2% doubt. It's either you believe God or you don't believe God. And the second test that God will take you to is a test where God will teach you how to totally depend on God will take you to seasons in life where he will teach you that the only way you can survive in this world is not the money in your bank account. It's not your family background. It's not your educational prowess. It's not your relationship. But the only way you can survive in this world as a child of God is by wholly depending on the works that come out of the mouth of God. Very important test. Very important test. There are two things I want us to know from this scripture. The first thing is that God was total reliance. So when you read James, I believe you have read that scripture severally. It says that James chapter 1, I think from verse 6 follow, it says that, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he went on to say that, let not this man think that he would receive anything from God. Yeah, that is scary. This is very scary. James 1, I think we should read it. I want to give the exact verse and because it's a very important scripture. Because one of the challenges Christians have is our inability to receive from God. So verse 6, he was talking about verse 5, asks God for wisdom and said so verse 6, but let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And let not this man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Ah, so if you pray to God for a car and you become double-minded, you have aborted your miracle. That's how serious it is. So God is, in quote, obsessed about total dependence and total reliance. So until God can get you to the place where you fully believe in, where he is your only option in life, you are not yet there. And God will take you or God will keep you in the wilderness until you are able to be single-minded towards God. <laughs> it's very important. God is willing to keep you in the wilderness for as long as you learn how to fully rely on him. And as I said that one day we look into why Abraham's Isaac delayed or it took 25 years. Whether it was actually God who planned that it was 25 years or actually things happened for it to become 25 years. So that's the first thing I want you to realize from the Deuteronomy that you must learn to be single-minded towards God. Now the second thing that I want you to learn from the scripture is that 
you must learn to receive from God for yourself. This is very important to me. You should learn how to have faith to receive from God for yourself. Our faith is a personal something, or it's a personal, or faith is a personal asset. Because especially in our generation, many of us don't have faith in God for ourselves. Many of us have faith in our pastors. Many of us have faith in our spiritual fathers. Many of us have faith in our mentors. Many of us have faith in a certain religious activity. Many of us have faith in prayer. Many of us have faith in fasting. So for some of us, whenever we have an issue, our remedy is let me go in a three-day fast. Many of us, we have faith in sowing of seeds. Whenever we have an issue, whenever we want a breakthrough, all that we do is that we just put money in an envelope and go and drop it on the altar. So many of us, our faith actually is not in God himself, but our faith is in religious activities we do, especially things like prayer. Many of us think that it's your three hours prayer that gets God to listen to you. (laughs) Many of us think that it's our fasting that gets God to listen, that gets God to listen to us. Many of us think that it's our giving that gets God to listen to us. Absolutely not. And God will take you to the wilderness to teach you these two important things. That is, either you rely on him fully for his provision, or you don't rely on him. And the second thing that he will teach you is that you should believe God for yourself. Let's look at something in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, concerning Sarah. Very important truth concerning Sarah. I wish I could really explain the background to this story, but let me be disciplined and just stick to it. Listen to what it says in the verse 11. Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Listen to how the Bible puts it. Let me use a different other version just to make it a bit sweeter. Hebrews 11 verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received power to conceive seed. Let me use another version. Through faith also, Sarah received strength through faith also, even Sarah received strength to conceive. You must be able to have faith in God for yourself. And I believe this is one of the reasons why the thing delayed. Because at a point, Abraham believed, but Sarah did not believe. So if you read Genesis 18, you know the Bible says, a time came that three men came to visit Abraham outside the tent. And God told the three men, one of them told Abraham that Sarah would give birth. And Sarah was eavesdropping. And Sarah was laughing. And she said that, will my body have pleasure in my husband? Or does my body have pleasure again to conceive a child? And Sarah laughed. Then the person told Abraham that, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah was like, hey. she was like, hey, Charlie, I thought the guy was joking. Like an 80-year-old woman like me, I can give birth. You know, it's like a cock and bull story. But when she realized that, no, this person was going to kill us, and she cared. And she said she did not laugh. And the being said to Abraham that, for with God, nothing is impossible. For a year by this time, I would return unto you, and Sarah would have a child. Interestingly, that was the first time Sarah heard for herself that she would have a child. And that's when faith came to her. Because all along, God never spoke to Sarah. All along, God has been speaking to Sarah through Abraham. Because you know that it was God who told Abraham, leave leave your country and go to a land I'll show you. It was God who told Abraham all the covenants, etc. It was mostly Abraham who was relaying the information to Sarah. So even though Abraham believed, because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 15 that and Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. But here was the case that in giving birth to Isaac, it doesn't just take Abraham to believe. Sarah also had to believe for herself. It's no one that it was Sarah who brought Hagar to Abraham because Abraham believed that God could do it but Sarah was not yet at that point they were not at the same faith level so Sarah suggested to Abraham that you find God has said that you will give birth right so you there I don't mind not being the vessel through which you give birth take my maid and Abraham also took the maid but until Sarah herself was able to believe God the miracle did not happen and sweet that you must be able to believe God for your healing you must be able to believe God yourself for your breakthrough. You must be able to believe God yourself for your spouse. You must be able to believe God yourself for that finances. You must be able to believe God for that promotion. Stop believing in your pastor. Stop believing in the anointing oil. Stop believing in the towel. Stop believing in religious activities and learn to believe in God yourself. And the unfortunate thing, if I should say, is that God will keep you in the wilderness until you learn this lesson for yourself. You will learn it. <laughs> God will make sure you learn. So the Bible says that 
he made them hungry so that he may give them food. This is very interesting. So God made them hungry so that he would provide for them. So there are many seasons we go through that God is the one taking you to that season. And God will keep you in that season until like Abraham, when God can see that and Abraham believed God. Until God sees that you have got to the point and see that and Sam believed God and Benji believed God and Baba believed God and Abinab believed God. Until God can make a statement like that concerning your life, you will still stay in the wilderness. You will still be there. You must learn to believe God for yourself. And you know, funnily, those who want to go into the ministry or those of you who have a passion for God, most people make such statements like, oh, as for me, I want to work for a while, open some investments here and there before I start the ministry. And God is just in heaven laughing. Are you people, <laughs> You know, many of us, we don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to feel being dependent on the offerings of people. Actually, what you don't realize is that it is pride that's making you talk like that. When God sent the disciples, he says, when you go, do not take anything for your journey. I think he said, just take two coats. Just take your stick. Do not even carry a purse. He said, take up absolutely nothing. So God must take you from the place of zero to hero, or however we say it. From grass to grace. From zero to to a million. God must take you to that season. So he said, I made you hungry so that I would feed you. And I believe the first test that every minister will go through is the test of finances. Many of us be like, oh, I want to save up to an amount of money before I go into the ministry. God is just laughing at you. <laughs> You'll be amazed. All the money will vanish before you start. Other than that, you will not learn how to rely on God for supply, but now you are relying on your bank account for supply. There's a story of a man of God. Who is not a man of God? He was actually a nurse. And actually, he was making quite a lot of money through his nursing. He was a man, but he was a nurse. He was doing so many nursing gigs elsewhere. And he knew he had a call of God upon his life. So his plan was that he would want to be a nurse for a while. I think he bought a number of cars so that he'd be renting the cars out to commercial vehicles so that at least every week, he knows that he's going to get money from the vehicles to push his ministry. You say in Ghana, like joke, like joke. All his cars got spot. It was like, <laughs> it was like a joke. But God literally, in quotes, destroyed everything until he was at the point of zero. And he started again. He wanted to do it again. And God took everything away from him. And he was still not learning until God to my brother. You must learn to start from zero. Because when you become great, you will not ascribe your greatness to me. You will think it's the money you have in your bank account. So everybody that God uses, God takes them from zero. That is why God intentionally allowed Moses to go to the wilderness. Because if Moses had delivered the people as a son of Pharaoh in Pharaoh's house, Moses would have attributed his success to his affiliation with Pharaoh. So somebody who was once the son or the adopted son of the most powerful person in Egypt now became a traitor to that country. So God literally stripped Moses of everything he had and said, Moses. So after Moses has spent 40 years in the wilderness, and God said, yeah, I'm not good to use you. In the same thing with David, God literally took somebody who was at the backside of the wilderness, somebody who was rejected by family, somebody who was rejected by siblings, somebody who the king wanted to kill him. So when he was bringing the covenant back and Micaiah, his wife, who was the, the daughter of Saul, was like, hey, you king, pal, you are dancing like this, exposing yourself. He said, hey, sister, if you don't know, it was God who picked me and God who chose me above your father to make me as king. Because David had learned his lesson that it is only God that can take you from hunger to having plenty. You must learn that lesson. So God will take you to that experience where he's able to teach you that sweetheart, the only thing you need to make it in this life is me. Until you see God as your only source, you are not yet there yet. You will still be in the wilderness. And it's the same thing that happened to Paul. You know, Paul was a great lawyer, a student of Gamaliel, one of the best teachers of the law. But God literally stripped this man of everything to the extent that his people were rejecting him. And even the church rejected him. It had to take, I think, Barnabas to bring him to the church for them to be accepted. So Paul was literally nobody. Then God took him. And there are many stories like this. Many of God's generals, people like George Muller, Kenneth Hagen, Smith Wigglesworth, all of these people went through such seasons. There was a time, I think Kenneth Hagen was sharing the story, that many a times, I think when they started, he was high, the place where they were meeting for fellowship. 
I think it's George Muller. I'm not sure. Either George Muller or Kevin Higgin, one of them, that they literally had no money to pay the rent. And it's, it's like a joke. Always at the 11th hour, then somebody will come. I think it's George Muller. He was on his way to, to quit. And I think he was going with, I think, a couple of friends. And he had absolutely nothing. And as they were on their way, his friends were like, hey, how are we going to pay for the train? <laughs> the fare was actually God will provide. They go to the train station. And just when the train alighted and about to board the plane, then they met somebody. I've forgotten the details. It was like, either he met someone and said to me, oh, I've been looking for you. God told me to give you this amount. And it was exactly the same amount, the exact amount that he needed for the fare. It's interesting. God didn't give him $1 more. He gave him the exact amount. So God will be teaching you or God will be taking you through these seasons until you have total reliance on him. So there are so many, in fact, I don't know a man of God personally, or I don't know somebody that God is using my, let me not say man of God, so you think that, oh, as for me, I'm a businessman, I'm a politician, so I don't go through such stages. But everybody that God uses, God literally takes me through this test. We have people like Bishop Dakey, what knows, a son of a very wealthy man, a very wealthy Ghanaian businessman, and then the mother was a Swiss. He had through this same season, he was a medical doctor, but he got to a point that he was literally sharing a single room with his associate pastor anyway. It was only one curtain that was dividing them. We have a mental whatever. Let me just share a story. Um, when he started his ministry, at a point, whenever he goes to preach, he literally got nothing as honorarium. But the good thing was that mostly the preaching appointments he was getting, they were walking distance from where he's staying. So he just walks to the place. He goes to preach. Maybe they'll give him a pie or a drink and he walks back. So he was okay. So God was providing for his needs. <laughs> Then a time came that he had to move to go and preach. He was getting no preaching appointment. So he would have like one city and the fare from his house to the place he was going to preach was exactly one city. And when he goes, they would give him two cities exactly on the dot as on a river. So he, he used the one city as a fair back home and he keeps the other one city for his next preaching appointment. And it was going on for more than a year. Interesting. So for more than a year, God was just providing the exact amount. Interestingly, when first increase, that's now, and the distance he was going to were going farther, let's say now his fare was two cities. When he goes to preach, they give him two cities. And it was like one time he was going to preach at the place. And this time he had no money on him. And he was in the queue. He was like, oh, God will provide God. They have been doing it for like two, three years. Like, <laughs> God will be doing it. So he was in the queue. And you know, he obviously has read stories about God's provision. So he knew that, oh, Always have my money will come. So he was in the queue to board the taxi. So now the time came that he boarded the taxi. Hey. So as I was about boarding the taxi, he was looking around. If somebody come and say, Hey, Pastor, 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 please go and give me his money. Please, nothing like that happened. So he entered the taxi. <laughs> they were going. He was about to reach his bus stop and still no call, no nothing. It's like, God, what am I going to do? So as he was in the car, he was running away that he would alight last so that when everybody has left, then you try and negotiate with the taxi driver actually. He begs, but he has no money. So somebody alighted from the car before him and the person paid for him, but he was not aware. So the person paid and the person was like, so I think as they were in the car, the person was like, oh, hello, pastor. So the person recognized him like, oh, I was like, oh, where do I know you from? Like, oh, I attend a church and you came to preach there once. I was like, oh, okay. But the person didn't tell him that I'm going to pay your fare for you. So he didn't know he was in the car, still waiting. So when he got there, he was about to explain himself to the taxi driver. And I was like, oh, the guy has paid for you, so don't worry, you can go. And you can imagine, so when he alighted from the car, the breath of fresh air that passed on him, man. And he said he looked up to God and said, God, please don't do this again. <laughs> And you see, it's very interesting that God will take you to such a season where exactly what you need is what he gives you. He doesn't give you more. And that's what the manna was doing. So every day, fresh manna was pouring down in front of their doorsteps. And God told them explicitly that do not take more than what you require. So if you need one kilogram of manna for the day, Pick exactly one kilogram. But the first day, as you know, this Israelites, some of them disobeyed and some of them took more than what they required. And the Bible says the next day when they woke up, the manna that they had put in their tent, maggots and the rest came up. And God told them that take only what you need for the day. And interestingly, this manna that had a 24 hours lifespan on Friday, that's the day before the Sabbath. That God told that you should pick double the amount because on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to go out and pick manna. So on Friday, they were supposed to pick double the amount that they need for Friday and Saturday. And interestingly, the manna that they picked on Friday was able to last the 24 hours lifespan 
and was able to last for 48 hours. What a wow. So you see, God will take you to the manna season of the wilderness where God will provide the detail. So if you need to see this, he'll give you the exact money without adding a death episode. And God will do this consistently until you develop in your spirit the ability to know that it is God that provides. God will take you to that season to see that. God will take you through such in an unpleasant season of your life, but God will take you through such seasons. Seasons where you will learn to rely on Him wholly and solely. And until God gets you, or until you learn this test very easy or very quicker, your wilderness experience will be prolonged. I'll stop over here, and God will, next week, we will look at this same chapter, the chapter, sorry, this same verse, the verse 3. There's still a lot more to learn from the verse 3. A lot more. It's very interesting. But I'll pause here and invite my friends, even as they give their commentary. So we'll be starting with Benji. So Benji, kindly give us a commentary. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, I believe Flint has studied today has been quite exhilarating. I've learned a lot and I would like to share something little from what we've studied. Yeah, so it's very important that we understand the provision of God, especially when we are going through the wilderness. And as Sam rightly said, it is one of the ways that God would use to make sure that we fully or totally depend on Him. Yeah. And from the scripture, He said, He made them hungry so that He would feed them with manna because. In the desert, God knew that they had to solely depend on him for him to give them the food or the manna that they had to eat. There was no market around to go to buy food or like there was literally nothing. Yeah. And I think one time he, he complained also that they wanted to eat meat. And then God sent quails to them so that they could get the meat that they wanted. So anytime the Israelites needed something, God was able to provide it for them. And that shows us the limitless or the boundless possibilities of the provision that God has for us. So God is trying to explain or tell us from this scripture that anytime that we are going through the wilderness or our wilderness experience, we should know and remember his boundless provision that he has in store for us. So it's not like God is um, up there scratching his head, not knowing what to do. And in our wilderness experience, he knows exactly what he's trying or what lesson he's trying to teach us. Yeah, Paul said that, let no man um, trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of Christ. So the experiences that he went through helped him to understand the provisions that God had for him. Yeah. And I think in Hebrews to Bible said that Jesus Christ learned obedience through the things that he suffered or through the many things that he suffered. Yeah. So it's very, very important that the wilderness experience is there to teach us how to make us understand how we should be able to fully or totally depend on God. And one thing I would like to share before I end is from the scripture that we read. He said, as Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he said, And he humbled thee with man which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord. So he wanted them to understand that they are not going to live by the bread that they eat, but their life depends on his word. Yeah, they, our, our lives depend on the word of God. So I just want to entreat us that we should lay hold on the word that the Lord gives to us. Because the word contains the life of God. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you so much, Benji. We would invite Abna to give us a commentary. I think tonight we just looked at the first part. So um, Abna, kindly give us a commentary. Okay, so I would like to highlight um, one phrase for today, which is total dependence on God. So the wilderness brings you to a point where, as human beings, 
sometimes we get so reliant on ourselves like we feel like we can pass through every situation with our own will with our own might with our own strength if it's with our money with our intellect with our knowledge with our academics or anything like that but the wilderness brings you to a point where that you do everything possible to be able to get out of whatever situation it is but you realize that without god like you can't get out of that situation it brings you to a point where you solely rely on god like i've had an experience like that before and i was able to like get out of that situation just by a verse from the word of god and it brought me to a point where i realized that in this life there's nothing i can do without him and since then like in everything i do like i don't even think twice every single thing i do i just totally depend on him i don't care about my might my power or anybody's words or encouragement like just the word of god alone got me to that situation so i want to say that total dependence is very 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 important and it's a very great lesson which you carry for life when you learn thank you god bless you too thank you too um we would invite ubene kindly give us a commentary Okay, thank you very much. It's not a commentary, it's a question. My question is, um, you see, last week I shared with you about how God exposed my heart and how he humbled me. But over the weekend, I was thinking about my life, and then I realized that I still have pride in me. Like some aspect, like, like, yeah, there's some aspects of pride in me. There's covetousness, and I lack faith. And I'm very self-centered. So, uh, my question is, um, should I, is it, uh, um, am I in the wilderness period? Or it's like, actually, it's like, I just get ready. It, I don't know. Should I wait? Like, should get ready. God is about to take me there or I'm already there or something like that. Yeah. Thank you. All right. You see, the issue is that don't look at the wilderness experience as isolated events of your life. So it's not as though that maybe from age 15 to age 20, God is going to teach you patience. Then from age 20 to age 23, God is going to teach you humility. Then from age 25 to 30, no, God doesn't teach like that. Every day, as I said, I think in our first episode, every day literally is a wilderness experience. So at a particular season, God will be working on you will say regarding finances is all of us it's as if god has paused on it then now he'll be working on you concerning impatience then all of that he brings back the finance aspect it's as if he's doing revision so the wilderness experience is an interwoven experience that we go through in our everyday lives so they look like isolated events but when you're able to sit down and take a total reflection of your life, you are at a particular period. God was trying to get your mind to, let's say, impatient. And all of a sudden, it's as if he was quiet about it. Then he went, maybe finances. Then he was quiet about it. Then maybe somebody in your family but plain sickness. And God will see how you're able to respond in faith to such a circumstance. There's like, as if the person got well, then finances will come in. So it's an interwoven experience that we go through. That is why the first episode, I think, I said that, you must be able to see when God is taking you to such wilderness experience. So it's an interwoven lesson that you experience every day of your life. It's an interwoven experience that you experience. And it's not as if you finish the test. So it's not as if when God teaches you through finances, then maybe for five years, God has seen that, oh, you have done well, then God will leave you. Absolutely not. He will keep, he will keep testing, you keep testing, you keep testing, you keep testing, you keep testing you. Because he knows that we human beings have a very funny way we behave. So God will constantly be keeping you on your toes. So for example, as I gave the example, let's say with um with people who started ministry from zero and now they have something. It doesn't mean that they are finished learning the dependency test. Because maybe in a particular time of their ministry, now they want to expand a lesson, maybe open branches all over the world. And that one too is capital intensive. So now their ability to succeed in the test is hinged on the ability to remember that when I was starting my ministry, I started with literally zero and only my wife and my Facebook. But now we have thousand members in the church. If God can do that, 
God will do this for, for us. The wilderness experience is an interwoven experience that forms part of our lives. And your ability to thrive is your ability to know and to be able to discern when such experiences are happening to you in your life. And I don't want to share an example, a very funny story. When I was in the university, at a particular time that um, I gave my, my monthly money at a program at church, it was a harvest and I gave everything. In fact, I went to add more from somewhere and I added it. And that month was the toughest month of my life. <laughs> when that seed works, it's a miracle. Because during that month of my life, I complained. <laughs> I'm like, hey God, literally, I'm making you go through this. <laughs> so every day I think back, I say, hey God, that seed works. <laughs> and I appreciate your mercy the more. But a particular pre, a particular week, I really had 0.000 Ghana seeds. But I think the good thing for me that week was um, we we're not going for lectures or so. Um, I think I was doing my national service or so during that time. So I think something happened and for that whole week. I didn't have to go to work for that week. So I was literally in my room with absolutely nothing to eat. And I was not in the mood of fasting, so please, I didn't fast. So I was there and I was so hungry and I called a, a friend whose hostel was around. I was like, oh, are you in your room? He said, yes, Papa, I'm in my room. I said, oh, okay, fine. I said, please, I feel like eating fried plantain. Do you have some? He said, oh, she has. She's even getting spoiled. So I said, okay, please fry it for me. Then she called me later and asked me, oh, should she bring it or I should come? I said, don't worry, I'll come to your room for it. So as I was walking towards her room, then she called me that, ah, would you eat the plantain alone? Or you have, like, do you have something in your room that you want to eat the plantain with? Or I should add something? I said, oh, what do you have? She says, oh, I have beans. I said, oh, please, cook the beans. She said, okay, Papa, I'll cook the beans. I said, fantastic. So when I got to the door and the beans was about to get finished, she was like, ah, would I just eat the beans and the plantain like that? I said, oh, why do you have garlic? He says, oh, I don't have garlic, but I have rice. And she was like, I can put it on fire for you or using a rice cooker. But won't it keep wrong? I said, sister, please, cook the rice. <laughs> now the state I'm in here, <laughs> it's not now for me to just take it half like that. So she cooked the rice and that day I ate. It's like, I'm not eating for a thousand years. And when I finished, I was so full, I couldn't walk back to my room. So I said, Charlie, please, let me sleep. So I slept, and it started raining too, so the sleep was a very good sleep. I remember I was returning back to my room, and I was so bored with God, that, ah, God, like, hold some dollar pass, see what they're doing, I was so angry. We all don't like to feel vulnerable, we all don't like to feel not having nothing, we all want to have that dependence on our flesh mentality, that dependence on our finance. And God, I could just feel that God was just smiling at me. And the same thing kept on happening for like a whole week. I literally had 0.00 Ghana cities. And I think the last day of the week or so, a similar circumstance happened. I think it was noodles I had with some vegetables and some sausage. And I ate that thing. And God, I just felt that God was whispering to me. And God said that, haven't you realized that when I'm feeding you, I feed you better than when you're feeding yourself? God says, look at the past man that we are feeding yourself. Look at the food you are eating. So let's say the food I was eating was, let's say, worth five Ghana cities maybe for breakfast or for maybe 10 cities for supper. And God was saying that, look at what you are feeding yourself. You eat roughly, let's say, 20 cities a day. But when I'm feeding you, the food you eat is worth more than 20 Ghana cities. And I could just feel in terms of, why don't you allow me to take care of you? And I was so, I said, God, I understand, but I just don't like feeling like that. And sweetheart, you must go through such experiences. And that doesn't mean that I've passed the test, too. God will take you through it again. God will take you through it again until my heart is fully assured. When I get to the stage in life, I know that no matter what it be, my God will supply my every need. And sweetheart, that's one of the experiences that this wilderness will take you to. God must take you to the place where you know with every iota of your being that God will supply your need. Because many a time we trust in our bank accounts. We trust in our financial background, we trust in our family background, but we don't trust in God. And you see, it's very easy to claim that you trust in God when you have money in your bank account. It's very easy to claim you trust in God when you're academically good. Because, you know, whatever be the case, you won't fail the exams. You may not get the marks you want to get, but for training, you won't fail. Sometimes God will take you through such experience until God can get you to the place where you look solely at Him for provision. That is why he said, I will take you to the season where you come to know 
that you do not live by bread, but you live by every word that I speak. And I'll pause here, and next week we'll continue this same verse. What does it mean to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? God bless you so much. I want to spend some time in prayer, as it's our custom. We want to pray to God that, Father, we pray for grace. That when we are going through such seasons of our lives, when you are taking us from the season of hunger to plenty, Father, may we flow with you. Father, may we flow with you. May we not be so impatient to abort the miracle. May we not be like Sarah, that always looks up for options. May we not be like people that God is just our first option. And whenever God seemingly fails, we have so many other options waiting. So many of us who have put God on a timetable that God, if by 12 p.m. you don't show up, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. We want to pray to God for grace. It's not an easy season of life. It's really, really not an easy season of life. I just pray to God that in our wilderness season, we will not mama. We will not be full of doubt and anxiety because we know that a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. Father, we pray for grace that we will rely solely on you. We pray for grace that we will be solely dependent on you. We pray for grace so that we will allow you to take care of us, that we will not look to ourselves for our daily manner, but we will look to you. Father, we pray for grace that every spirit of complaints, every spirit of murmuring, every spirit of looking out for other options, every spirit of making you one of our options. Father, we pray for grace that we deal with all this experience but that take us to that season take us to that place where we know without every without any shadow of doubt that my help comes from the lord and the lord alone and if god should decide to fail me then truly i'm going to fail because he's not just my first option but he is our only option in the name of our lord jesus god bless you so much remember to give god your best and make sure that the only thing you owe any man is love. Bye-bye.